Gosh dang it. <laughs> ah, okay. I gotta preach after those three baptisms. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, let me just do this. I was gonna just keep going on the membership thing and actually I think I'm gonna take us a different direction this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 28. And if you think about it, just pray for me. Gosh, that is like, Hearing the three of them talk, gosh, God transforms lives, doesn't he? Gosh, I think we lose sight so easily of what was the accomplishment of Jesus Christ when he defeated sin and Satan and death and the Holy Spirit then came upon people. Our world has never been the same. And we just had three people get up and testify to the reality that our God is still doing amazing works in the lives of the people. And so I wanna go back to Matthew 28. We'll come back to our membership series next week. It's gonna fit in our membership series, I promise you, because everything's about Matthew 28. But today, I just wanna look there and I want us to kind of understand what just took place up here on this stage as, as somebody got baptized. So would you pray with me real quickly and then we'll, we'll open God's word. Father, I praise you and I thank you so much for the testimony of your grace and your goodness. The power of what happened when Jesus Christ conquered sin, defeated Satan, overcame the grave. And then, Father, now as we see your Holy Spirit come upon people and transform lives to your glory. Father, may we never, ever, ever lose sight of the miracle of a transformed life. And would we as a church always rejoice whenever the waters of baptism get stirred because it's another story of your goodness and your grace in our lives. And so Father, we praise you for this, believing wholeheartedly this is a work of you. But Father, thank you that these three precious ones responded to you. And we now not only call them our friends and our brothers and sisters, but Father, we call them fellow heirs of the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for that. In your precious name we pray, amen. I was sitting down there, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how many of you are even followers of Jesus. And so today what I wanna do is I actually wanna just make sure everybody understood what just took place. See, in the Bible, one of the cool things that it talks about is it gives us the answers to every aspect of what's going on in life, every aspect. If you ever wonder where did we come from, the Bible answers where we came from in Genesis 1. If you ever wondered why this world is messed up, well, the Bible begins to tell us why the world is messed up in Genesis 3. If you're wondering how in the world is this whole thing ever going to be to come together in any kind of a way, a semblance of what, I don't care if you're a libertarian or you're a socialist or you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or, or whatever you are in between that you think somehow your political system is going to save the world. There is only one who can save the world and that is the person of Jesus Christ that is the true solution to everything that is going on in this world right now. 
And not only is he the pinnacle, the the reality of all that is that is going to bring about a restoration in this world, but I promise you this, Jesus Christ is returning. His kingdom will be established. A world that we have longed for, that we tell stories about, that we, we hope for is going to happen. And these three people encountered that God. Now, everything about this, though, when you look at Matthew 28, when you look down at verse 16, we'll kind of just start there. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. In other words, they went to the exact place God had told them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, here's the part I want you to hear. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I think sometimes we rip this out and we kind of throw around this verse and we miss the fact that it's placed right in the exact spot that it's supposed to be. Because see, for those of you that don't know Jesus, this world didn't just come out about by, by, by some kind of happenstance. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that how this world came about was in the beginning, God. God was there. It wasn't just merely matter and energy that somehow collided to form something and amazingly we have everything that sits in front of us. No. God truly was the one and it talks about the fact that he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke all things into existence. In other words, at the very beginning of Genesis 1, we learn there is a God who reigns and supersedes over all things that sits enthroned above all. And when he spoke, everything began to come into existence. He's a God that with each passing moment when he was creating, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he designed this entire world that all of us are living in right now. And it's crazy for me to think about it. He designed this world to operate in the exact right way that it was operating as he created us to operate in the exact right way for in this world that we were placed within. He created a, universe, a world in which gravity falls at negative 9.8 meters per second per second. He created a world that had around it a canopy, an atmosphere that would protect us from all the things that are going on out in the universe. He put us here for a very specific purpose. And in Genesis 1, he starts to lay it out. He created us in his image. We are in a powerful and a beautiful way created to know God and to love God and to experience God. And he said, after creating human beings, he said, oh, it is very good. See, every last one of you in here, I don't care who you are, you were created in the image of God. You aren't just anybody. You are unlike any of the rest of the creation in all of the cosmos. You are ones that have within you the capacity to know and understand and enjoy and long for the very God of the entire universe. Nothing else has that. Everything else can declare his glory, but only we can fully enjoy it. That's where we all came from. We were placed in a garden, first two humans, called to reign and rule over all things, and oh, it was good. 
But in Genesis 3, humanity did what humanity has always done. We reject God. God had said to him in Genesis 2, don't eat from the tree. On the day that you eat from it, you'll surely die. And into the garden snuck a snake who we call Satan, the devil, however else you want to term him out of scripture. And in that moment when, when Eve and also Adam, when they believed in that lie at that particular time and place, everything that God had promised came true when they ate from a tree that they weren't supposed to. And in eating from that particular tree, they weren't, it just wasn't so much it was the tree, it was the audacity that they had to believe a lie from this serpent that told them that they could think and operate without God, that they could actually be like God. And they ate of that apple, they embraced of it, and all of humanity entered into sin. And when God finally comes along, and they're found in the garden, the curse was true. Everything that we're feeling right now in the world, whether you know it or not, we're feeling it because we have sinned against God. The, our original Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. All of humanity has sinned against God. And in sinning against God, what that's done is that doesn't just separate us physically, that separates us in all kinds of ways. And not only separates us from God, but it, the Bible talks about it, it separates us from each other. The mess of this world, the, the, the actual audacity that we think we can fix this world. Have you ever thought how crazy that is? That we can honestly step into this world and say, oh yeah, I got the answer for it. We'll fix it. Here's my political system. What do you think? <laughs> Humanity might have messed it up. But the same God that spoke all things into existence began his rescue plan. To that snake, he promised that woman eventually is going to have a child that's going to crush your head. And you might bite him. And it may even cost him his life. But at the end of it, what's going to happen is, is he promised there would be a snake crusher that would come along one day. That snake crusher we, we found kind of in different ways through people. We, we would see it kind of the, the images of what it might be like through men like Noah. And finally in Genesis 12 and 15, this guy named Abraham who comes along. And by the way, we sometimes think of Abraham as like, Father Abraham had many sons. If you grew up in Sunday school, he's this untouchable dude. You got to remember, he was just a normal guy. But yet God looks at him and says, you, don't, you might not believe this or not, but I'm actually going to do my rescue plan through you and your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids. And it was all pointing towards the coming one day of the snake crusher. God did form a people. He led a man named Moses along that, again, kind of gives us a little image of what the snake crusher was going to look like. We see King David come along and we kind of start to see what a kingdom looks like and a temple looks like and all these other realities. But everything was just slowly moving throughout history and we're wondering, where is the snake crusher? And then finally, into a little town in Bethlehem because the promise had foretold, the prophets had foretold it, King Jesus landed into this world fully God, fully man. He came and he lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He came not to the, to the upper crust, right? I mean, I'm just thinking if I'm gonna create this plan, I would have totally done it now where you have way more TVs. And I would have been like, boo, boo, you know, King Jesus is here, woo, 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 right? I mean, that's how I would have done it. But that's not how God did it. 
to a girl that was probably 12 or 13 years old and a boy who was probably 15 or 16. Again, who entrusts the savior of the world to a teenager? (laughs) But the Bible talks about it just the right time in just the right place. He showed up. Not born to the upper crust, but actually born to normal folk. He grew up, he strengthened. In being fully God, he was also fully man, which meant he felt sadness, he felt all kinds of different realities. He was no different than any one of us the book of Hebrews talks about. But he came proclaiming finally a kingdom. Announcing to all the world, whether they knew it or not, hey, by the way, the snake crusher's here, and oh, by the way, it's me. I have come now to bring life and hope and grace and goodness. But he pointed all around him at the world and its systems and the way that they were set up, and he was saying to them, I understand this world in its present form is so wrong, and it is needs to be changed, but I'm telling you, I'm the one, and now coming to me by faith, you too will join me in this passionate mission of what it looks like now to proclaim the greatest kingdom of all time. Pretty soon, 12 dudes start to follow him. And they're not the 12 guys I would have started with. I mean, you have a tax collector, some fishermen. You have all these different guys that are around him, but yet Jesus begins to invest his life into them. He begins to heal a proclamation that he truly is who that he says he was. He spoke these words and people began to go, oh, that sounds so right. He began to also do miracles. He began to operate amongst the people in a powerful way, even raising people from the very dead. And when everything looked like everybody was gonna crown him to truly now be the king and they were ushering him into this city going, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise God be to this king. In a moment of time, everything shifted and everything that was foretold about in the prophets said that one day that snake crusher is gonna come, but he's not gonna come initially to just reign in front of us. No, he is going to what Genesis 3 talked about, what was echoed in Genesis 12, what is echoed all throughout the life of Moses, what is echoed through the life of David, what is echoed through the life of prophets, he was going to come and he was going to die. But here's the greatest news in the world. When King Jesus came as one of us, he came as a human. And what no human could do, he did. Because he was fully and is fully God. He made us right, not only with God through his death, he now was able to to cancel out the debt of sin, the, the way in which we've rejected this holy God over and over and over again. All the ways in which we don't know how to operate in this world, the shame, the the, the ways in which now everybody's fighting through all kinds of power structures to try to get to the top. That's not the way King Jesus came. But when he died, all those ways in which we feel guilt and shame and just absolute, an inability to cope with this world, he not only defeated sin, he defeated that snake, but three days later when he rose from the grave, he conquered death and with it he began to usher in life. And when he stood there with these guys on this particular mountain, 
I don't think they had a clue what was about ready to happen. But he just looked at him and said, here's what's been going on. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I am the great king over all things. Now in light of it, go make disciples of all nations. There was 11 of them because one had betrayed Jesus. By Acts 1, there's 120 people. Oh no, how's the church gonna do it? And suddenly the Holy Spirit, which most of them weren't expecting, even though Jesus in Acts 1 says, oh, you know what, here's what's crazy is gonna happen. A few days from now, my spirit is gonna come upon you and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the very end of the world. Things are about ready to change. The Holy Spirit falls upon these men and these women, about 120 of them. And do you realize out of 120 people over 2,000 years, we are sitting here today because of it. Has anybody ever just thought, that's crazy? And they even promised in Acts 1 that King Jesus is coming back. But now listen to me. For those of you that don't know our King, King Jesus, you can't just acquiesce to him. You can't just say, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine, a friend. That's not that. He's not your buddy. He's not your plaything. He's not someone that you just cool with the big man upstairs. When I say that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who forgives sin, the one who reconciles you to be right with the Father, the one that draws you in to love you extravagantly, the one that will transform you and make you different, the one that will set your life on a course that you could never imagine, you can't come to him in that way. You only come to him in one way. You can't earn his love. You can't write his favor. You can't do anything at all. In other words, all you can do is bend your knee to the king and acknowledge by grace through faith you are the king now some people would say okay well now that I say that life gets better right nope in fact I've laughed the last two years when Christians have been like oh why is it so hard because Jesus promised it would be because Jesus Christ, this is how powerful what he did and what he announced to those guys on that day. When my kingdom lands into this world, you're not gonna have the perfect scenario. I mean, they were in the Roman Empire. Why in the world did God start in the Roman Empire? But yet in that Roman Empire, this group of people begin to know and love and follow Jesus, even in the midst of difficulty and oppression and heartache and all the things that were going on. Why? Because we don't need the perfect scenario to be able to, to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. If it's difficult, we still proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. If it's easy, we still proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. And so those of you sitting right here, let me just tell you this. The Bible promises that all who choose to live godly in Christ Christ Jesus will face persecution, will face difficulty. It won't be something that we just float through this life. But in Matthew 28, 20, he says there, but listen to me, I am with you to the end of the age. I will know you and you will know me. 
And so today, if you're somebody that's sitting here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that's never bent your knee to that king, I would say this, I invite you to bend your knee to that king, Jesus Christ. And what just happened with these other three ladies is encounter the king. He will transform you and make you new. He will give you new vision and new passion for this world. And so today, I invite you, and I'll be right over here. I would love to talk to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus further if you want to talk. But I would even say this. In the coming weeks, my prayer is, is that if you don't know Jesus today and today, finally, it's making sense that you will come up and we will baptize you in just a few weeks because you too will be announcing that you're ready to follow the king of all kings. Now, to all of us in here that do know Jesus, that's our story. That's our story. And just so that we don't forget, I know I say this a lot, but everybody gets Jesus wins, right? Everybody with me? Regardless of how you feel about vaccinations, regardless of how you feel about who's in authority, regardless of all the things right now that we are concerned about, which I understand, we gotta wrestle through and we gotta seek the Lord on what to do, but our king is victorious. He will be victorious, and in the end, finally, he will demonstrate himself for who he is as king of kings and of lord of lords. So as you go here today before I don't bring Dan up, I know this wasn't the cue you were supposed to have. We were supposed to be preaching on something else. But as you go from here today, church, never forget, our story is a powerful story found in this incredible book. And those three lives are a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Never, ever forget who you are. Well, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? Amen, amen. Well, my name is Dan Lovejoy. Yes, that's what it says. And uh, I am an elder here at Cornerstone Community Church. And as you've heard from most of us so far, uh, I hope that you've caught our heart. We are just a group of guys who are hopefully transformed by Jesus Christ, love you, care for you. Um, it's not something we take lightly. Uh, it is a responsibility that for us is, uh, it, it's, it's weighty. Um, because one day I'm going to stand before the king in my report on what I've done here and probably have to endure the most difficult oral exam I've ever had in my life. And that is, how were you a shepherd at Cornerstone? Uh, it's hard, I, I won't... Um, I remember standing in, in Mexico and looking at an amphitheater of about 800 Cornerstone people and just bawling in tears, going, God, there's no way I can't do this. And he said, you're right, but I can. And I can do it through you. So here are two things, um, or I'll give you two things uh, that you should know about me as an elder. First of all, I love you dearly, but I do not remember your name. I am, I am so sorry. I struggle with that so hard 
it's just difficult. So that's one. Uh, the other one is one of the things that, that, you know, it's one of the best parts of the job. If you can call eldership a job, this for me is one of the best parts. When somebody calls the church and says, hey, would you pray for us? Uh, there is nothing that excites my heart than partnering with the Holy Spirit on your behalf. I love doing that. I, I, seriously, it's, it's one of the things I think we like more than anything else. But I'm supposed to tell you about me. So here are two things that you might not know about me. First of all, my first name is not Dan, it is Thomas. I come from a long line of Thomases, eight generations now, and uh, each Thomas has a different middle name. And so I go by Dan, and we do that, and there are no juniors, we do that so that Thanksgiving is not a nightmare. Because when you call Tom to the table and nine guys show up, that gets to be difficult. Um, so my dad is Tom. I am Dan. My son had absolutely no choice but to be named Tom, so that's him. Uh, the other thing, uh, I'm getting old now. Um, the Italian restaurant where I proposed to my wife is now a FedEx office. <laughs> so if I want to go celebrate my anniversary, about the only thing I can do is say, hey baby, want to go make a copy? Um, and I love to celebrate anniversaries. Carol and I have now been married 37 years, 123 days. Now the 123 days part I know sounds a little weird, but I started that 123 days ago. Uh, because I need to remind myself on a regular basis what a gift, what a gift she is. Um, it's a wonderful partnership. The partnership I have with Carol is really excellent, but it was not always so. Um, I grew up in a two-parent home. I went to a Christian school from kindergarten all the way through high school. Uh, I come from a long line of pastors, um, fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, and in my house is a pastor's library. Some of the books go back 200 years. I have a bunch of first editions only because the guys bought them when they were new. Um, which in the age of digital books are now worth about seven cents. <laughs> but that is my heritage. And so I grew up in a Christian home. I went to camps all the time. Uh, heard amazing testimonies of the rescue God had done. But my house didn't look like that. My parents were not in prison. Neither was I. My parents were not axe murderers, and I did not have a difficult home life. My story was not one of amazing rescue. And so, in my stupidity, I decided I needed to go get a story. <laughs> Seriously, I, about the worst thing I did was I stabbed my brother in the head with a pencil. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that somebody's going to go, oh, that's why I want to follow Jesus Christ. My story was more one of preventative medicine. 
And that is not the story we want for our kids. We want our kids, as we grow them in Christian homes, to say, no, I am rescued. You don't need to go get some phenomenal story. Now, if that's your story, I am phenomenally pleased. I'm excited. The, the, the grace of God has poured over you in that manner. And as Todd was talking about, has rescued us. Oh, I'm so glad for that. But if that is not your story, and your story is more like mine, guess what? The amazing grace of God has rescued us from both the past and the future. I mean, I don't want to talk to you about my sin life, but I, I, the, thing that, the thing that drives me nuts is, I mean, I am so thankful for the fact that God saved me and has forgiven me for yesterday's sin. But what is truly a shaming to me is that he's already forgiving me for the sin that's coming up on Tuesday. I'm going to reject the king of the universe on Tuesday, knowing what I full know, and yet that sin is already forgiven. And I, it's, it's difficult for me. So, um, so I had to go get a story. I did. Um, uh, sex and money and cocaine were all highly active. Um, and then I met Carol. And I gave up the Porsche I was going to buy. And I periodically remind her of that. <laughs> gave up the other two women I was dating. And we have an interesting Valentine's Day story, which Carol can tell you about. Um, and went back to church. God and I had such a great time at confession. I strayed, but he had stayed. Um, we got married and uh, we kind of looked at each other and after a little while wondered who we had married um, Carol had realized I don't know if you're aware of this Carol had realized she had not married her Prince Charming <laughs> and we got in an argument so bad I put my fist in a wall but early on we had decided that divorce was not an option I mean our one of our favorite songs was an old Huey Lewis song called Happy to be Stuck with You um, because we knew there was no way out. And uh, so I remember talking to a guy at the church we were going to, a guy named Don Hasselbring. Now, Don was an old man when I talked to him. And when I was making some notes here, I realized that I am now older than Don was when I went to talk to him. So that's a little frightening. But I remember talking to Don, and I'm going, Don, my marriage is in shambles. You've been married for a long time. What's your secret? What do, you, what do I do? He goes, well, it's not really a marriage thing. He said, I always pray that God would make me an easy learner. Help, you, you've got to teach me something? Fine, help me learn it. But I want to learn it the first time. Don't make me go through. Don't let me go through this over and over again as you have to correct my sin, as you have to teach me, oh, Father, help me learn right away. Help me to be that disciple. And he said, it's not really marriage-specific, but my wife always seems to win with that. But that didn't mean that I didn't get up in the middle of the night one night and find Carol sobbing on the living room couch. 
And uh, I had actually blamed her for being pregnant with our son and for the financial crisis we were in. And so I, uh, gosh, I tried to listen and I felt like I'd been an idiot. And so I got a bunch of guys around me who took me to kind of a men's seminar thing and they confirmed that in fact I had been an idiot. Um, and that, uh, and so I made some changes. Who am I kidding? God made some changes, brought them deep into my heart and, um, and I'm so grateful for that. But it was a while before Carol could, could see that. Now, here's how God used that struggle. I wasn't enjoying the struggle and neither was Carol at all. But here's what God did. So I find this book called The Exemplary Husband. I pick it up. I read chapter one. It's too hard. I put it back on the shelf. I'm going, come on, Dan. You're better than this. Pull the book off the shelf, read chapter one, can't do it, put it back on the shelf. Three months later, I grabbed four guys and I said, guys, this book is too hard. It's gonna revolutionize who we are. We need to read the book together. Two weeks those guys lasted and they all put the books back on the shelf. And so I decided this was something I absolutely had to do. And so I devoted evenings and weekends to it. And as soon as I was done, I sat down with Carol. I said, this is great. Hey, you know, she goes, there's a book just like it called The Excellent Wife. We should do them together. I'm like, what a great idea. Wait, better, let's get the church to do it. So I walk into church. I talk to the, one of the pastors at the time, a guy named Brian Risky, And I say, Brian, this is what we need to do. He goes, yes, when are you going to do it? I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. No, 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 this is something you need to do, Brian. He goes, oh, no, 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 you figure it out. So out of that struggle, God created, God helped us build a class we called E2. And that class went on five years, and it, um, some of you have been through it. Uh, it was a great class. We loved doing it. Um, it was a, uh, another couple started doing it with us, and, and another pastor started teaching it. Um, it got taken out to the church plant in Ohio, and it all happened because God saw the struggles in the marriage that Carol and I had and decided he needed to use them for something else. Um, I should tell you two things I'm learning now because testimonies are interesting but they kind of don't mean anything unless you know what God's doing in their lives right now so here are two things that God is doing in my life right now first James 1.19 oh dear brothers take heed listen Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, I am so fast to speak. I am angry that much faster. And at that point, what's the point of even listening? And so I've come to a point where I repent faster. I mean, I see God as king. And so I have to recognize him as such which means I'm kind of like a little kid who listened to what he was told to do and decided, no, I want to play ball in the house and break the vase. That's what I feel like doing. And so I have to come back to the king of the universe and go, you know what? That's sin. Help me stop. Let's figure out what the escape hatch is. And let's move forward. And I think the thing that we all lack, one of the reasons we, we head to sin so quickly, 
well, one of the reasons I do, is I'm not thankful enough. I don't live a life of gratitude as well as I should. I think thankfulness ought to be one of the things we are absolutely known for. Um, the other thing that God is teaching me right now is that uh, I'm learning to be more gracious in my action. My mom used to always say I was like a bull in a china shop. And I think she thought about it just because I was too quick doing stuff. But what it really came down to is I'm just rough everywhere. And so um, I'm really trying to understand why am I offended? Doesn't love cover a multitude of sins? Let it go. Just let it go. And so that's what I'm working on. That's what God's doing right now. God is, uh, he's worked to transform my heart. And he's still doing it. Um, I'm working and the Holy Spirit is working to allow me to give him free reign. And I am really trying to rest in the relationship I have with my father. Now so far, it's taking me my whole life to learn it. So, thanks for your time.